morning, I'll be reading 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 to 18. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. He got up and fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. He left his servants there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough now, Lord, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly an angel touched him and he said to him, get up and eat. He looked and there at his head was a cake and baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him and said, get up and eat. Otherwise the journey will not be, journey will be too much for you. He got up and ate and drank. Then he went in a strength of that fourth food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. At that place, he came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking for my life to take it away. He said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. The Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in the mantle and went, went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the Lord of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael as king over Aram. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, son of Nimshai, as king over Israel. And you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, as prophet in your place. Whoever escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu shall kill. And whoever escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall kill. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have now bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him.
I will now read Matthew chapter 15, verses 32 to 39. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for the crowd, because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry, for they might faint on the way. The disciples said to him, where are we to get enough bread in the desert to feed such a great crowd? Jesus said to them, how many loaves have you? They said, seven and a few small fish. Then ordered the crowd to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves and fish and after giving thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowd. And all of a sudden, and all of them ate and were filled, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. Those who had eaten were 4,000 men, besides women and children. After sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. Let's pray. Loving God, may we hear your voice this morning. May our reflections on your scriptures inspire us, encourage us, and nourish us. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Hello. I understand uh, that in the church meeting a couple of weeks ago, uh, if you were present there, you participated in an activity that indicated where you felt you were in your relationship with God. This was a practical activity, one where you were asked to move yourself to a position that demonstrated the negativity or positivity of that relationship. And you were all asked then to move around. And I missed that activity because I wasn't able to be at that meeting. So I thought I'd actually demonstrate today where I am in my relationship with God. So I didn't pre-warn AV, sorry, Liz, <laughs> but I am going to move just across the stage. So hopefully that camera will still pick that up um, just to kind of demonstrate this. So it's nothing like a bit of a on the fly uh, updating for the cameras. Sorry. So if... Uh, this side of the stage is everything is brilliant. God and I go hand in hand through everything in life together, like skipping through a meadow, everything's joyful. And then this side is more God, God who, don't really know who this God is that you speak of. I'm probably somewhere kind of here-ish, if this is the middle point, kind of here-ish, so leaning more towards the kind of positive relationship with God. But then I might ask myself a different question. And Liz, I promise I'll try not to move now. So I might ask myself a different question this morning and perhaps ask you to consider the same. If we were to set up a scale of our current feeling towards Bloomsbury, this church, where would you find yourself? So if the front of the church here kind of 
at the kind of cage end, which is called the cage for some reason. Uh, if that's the front and everything's really great with Bloomsbury, I'm not going to ask you to move, don't worry. Uh, just imagine it. And if the back is actually, I'm not in a really good place with my church community right now, and I feel pretty low about it. Where would you position yourself? If I'm honest with you all today, I'd probably be outside, as in outside the building. And it's hard to be honest with one another, isn't it? It's exposing. What I just said is really exposing. You open yourself up to judgment and criticism. Assumptions are made and accusations levied. We are emotionally vulnerable. It can also feel wrong to stand up in a position of relative authority and speak transparently. And I say relative authority because as good Baptists, we kind of hold this space quite lightly. But there is authority when you stand in front of a mic and speak when you're invited to do so. It's countercultural to expose what is normally considered to be weakness. When we roll over and show our soft underside, we wait to see how others respond. Are we comforted? Imagine a puppy uh, being nurtured by a loving companion. If you're dog people, you know what I mean. Give the, the dog a good belly rub. Or are we attacked? Imagine a wild boar, its soft spots targeted and sliced away during a hunt. So this belly, this underside, our stomachs, are deeply vulnerable places. We can store a lot of image and self-worth in that area of our body and put unrealistic pressure on the size of our bellies. Expressions like, what does your gut say, speak to an intuition deep within our bodies that, like anything, can be misheard or misunderstood but so often is just simply ignored. After months of prayer and deliberation, weighing the positives and negatives of remaining on the diaconate, it was ultimately a gut-led decision. It felt right and necessary for me to resign, a decision I remain at peace with. Our stomachs are also highly sensitive to emotional disruption. We might be familiar with the feeling of butterflies swirling and swarming around deep inside when we're about to do something nerve wracking or when we are awaiting important or sensitive news. Digestive health is deeply impacted by our emotional well-being. Wait for it. Those who are emotionally constipated can quite often experience physical constipation too. And there's a phrase I didn't think I'd ever say from the front of Bloomsbury. When life throws up the unexpected and we are forced to change and adapt, that can also lead to an imbalance in the gut and cause any number of physical problems associated with our digestive system, 
In yogic traditions, the root chakra is found in the area in and around our stomach. This is the focal point of grounding and security, and therefore the consequences following misalignment or confusion can be profound. Many Christian traditions have so often tried to divorce the physical from the emotional and the spiritual, that which our bodies need and that which our bodies tell us are secondary to rational thought and then tertiary to spiritual discernment and wisdom. We have often been encouraged to disconnect from our bodies, sacrifice our physical needs and responses for the betterment of the spiritual being. The deep irony being that one needs the other. As someone who has long fought their own battles with their body and the balance between the food it needs to be nourished and the exercise it needs and doesn't need, it is therefore personally painful to me as to how much of contemporary Christianity remains defiantly separatist, a separation of body and spirit. It's especially bizarre when the foundations of one of our oldest traditions and one that unites us with other Christians from all over the world and throughout time is the one that was founded over a meal. It also leads me to ask where else have I and my siblings in Christ become separated from our bodies? Where have we defaulted to pragmatism, logic and tried and tested methods to the detriment of intuition, empathy, and being attuned to the something new or yet to be discovered. Of course, we can't entirely throw away the benefits that a logical approach can bring, or the security that being pragmatic offers. But if we become disconnected from our gut, from our place of emotional response, are we also disconnecting from a part of our being where the spirit can and does connect with us. As we enter the colder months here in the UK, we might also want to ask ourselves, where are we finding nourishment? Literally, how are we fueling and caring for our bodies as well as our hearts and souls? In our reading from the Gospel of Matthew this morning, we encounter a Jesus who is just as concerned for the physical well-being of those who have been listening to his teaching as he is with the spiritual well-being. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for the crowd because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry for they might faint on the way. For they might faint on the way. Something touched me as I read this passage earlier in the week, and it's not something that I previously paid attention to. There is a sensitivity here, a compassion that goes beyond the necessary and embraces that which nourishes Jesus acknowledges, very simply, that people need to be cared for, body just as much as soul. 
Following this, we learned that all of them ate and were filled. They were all filled. This was not a skimpy, mean, tight picnic. This was a filling up, a nourishment that prepared them for whatever was coming next. I find it intriguing that we were also not told of what Jesus had been teaching this crowd, just that he wanted to ensure that they had been fed. For Jesus, in this moment, nourishing his followers took precedence over everything else. I wonder if we have the same awareness of the needs of those around us. Are we offering the practical when we ought to be offering the emotional? Are we offering the spiritual when we ought to be offering the physical? Are we offering the pragmatic when we ought to be offering the compassionate? There is also a beautiful and simple kindness to the miracle performed here. The meal is basic, just bread and fish, but it is offered from a place of gentle goodwill. This is not the table turning Jesus. This is the brother and the soulmate, the friend and the beloved. Kindness has a bit of a bad reputation, unfortunately. To many, it is seen as weak, ignorant, flawed, and naive. Having unfortunately worked in the world of advertising, kindness at best would line you up for mockery, at worst could cost you your promotion or even your job. Through the lens of social justice, Kindness can often be seen as conciliatory or demonstrating a lack of passion. And in churches and other broad community groups, kindness can be taken advantage of. Yet I'd like to ask of us here today and listening, how are we manifesting kindness today? What simple offering of kindness can we bring that gently nourishes the soul of another? the loaves and the fish that someone else may need. A few years ago, so-called random acts of kindness became popular and various initiatives and frameworks were developed to encourage individuals to demonstrate kind behavior in their day-to-day -day actions. This was especially adopted by good Christian folk during the periods of Lent and Advent with one structure in particular offering suggestions of what to do and how to do it, and you might be familiar with it. In fact, perhaps it's still going in one form or another. And whilst at its simplest, it is a good thing, what does it say of a culture that needs encouragement to act kindly? So many of us may ruffle our feathers at this point and say, I am a kind person and I do kind things all the time. But let me just gently nudge and ask then, what about times that we don't? The mean-spirited thought aimed at the rough sleeper who asks a spare change, the questioning of a colleague who is struggling with their workload, the willful silence when an unjust act is committed, the barbed word spoken in haste and with little thought, particularly in trying times, 
as these times have certainly been. Kindness is often the first to be siloed, set aside for an appropriate and less impractical moment. And of course, we are horrendously unkind to ourselves. Phrases like this might be familiar to you. I'm my hardest critic, or I'm my own worst enemy, or I'm in competition with myself. Where is the balm that we might apply to our own souls? The kindness we need to offer our own bodies when they are tired. The gentle care of our minds when they are afflicted. Have you offered yourself a gentle word this week? Given yourself the space to take a deep breath. Enjoyed that book, that song, that meal. Do it now. Offer yourself an ounce of kindness in this moment. Say thank you to your body. Say sorry to your soul for harboring critical thoughts of yourself. Acknowledge all that your mind and body and soul have done this week to bring you to this moment and do so in kindness, not in judgment or with criticism. Thank you. When during the first lockdown, 404 years ago, began, I uh, decided to take part in a 30-day yoga program, which I had no idea would not only challenge me, challenge me physically, which was the desired intent, but it would also ask me to daily come back to myself with kindness and with an intent to bring nourishment to all of my personhood. It was the hardest and indeed remains the hardest lesson I have had to learn in recent years. How can I be kind to others when I'm not first kind to my own self? It is perhaps likely that many of us have sacrificed kindness to ourselves since early 2020, either intentionally or through circumstance or both. How can you reconnect with the kindness of the Christ, offering simple nourishment so that you don't faint on the way? And so to our reading from the book of First Kings, and whilst I do intend to come to perhaps one of the most well-known passages of the Hebrew scriptures, it may not surprise, given our undercurrent theme of food and nourishment today, that I'm first going to draw our reflective gaze to the condition of Elijah and to the divine response to his condition. Elijah is tired and afraid. His exploits in the previous chapters have concluded with him fleeing to the wilderness with the intent, very clearly, that he might die. This would be a slow and drawn out death, a letting go as his body slowly stopped functioning without the necessary water and nutrition to sustain him. It is enough now, O oh Lord. I've uttered similar words recently and historically. It is enough now, O oh Lord. Climate change, 
church finances, COVID-19 and the response from governments, family health, political extremism, strained relationships, systemic racism, working from home, LGBTQ plus persecution, absent family and friends, broken ecosystems, death of a loved one. It is enough now, O oh Lord. How many times have you come to the end of your tether? It is enough now, O oh Lord. <laughs> Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, get up and eat. He looked and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him and said, get up and eat, otherwise the journey will be too much for you. When I first read that passage when preparing for this morning, uh, I had to take a, a double, uh, double take because uh, I thought it said on his head was a cake baked on hot stones, which would have been quite an entertaining image. In his moments of desperation, Elijah was greeted with the same kindness and similar nourishment to which Jesus offered those who had followed him for his teachings. In fact, the wording is very similar. Get up and eat, otherwise the journey will be too much for you. And so he ate and he rested and then he ate again. Elijah could not travel further to the upcoming famous encounter that many of us will know so well, that encounter with the divine on one of the most holy of Hebrew sites, without first having been treated with kindness and care. Most importantly, he needed to eat and to rest. Someone who I admire deeply for both their work and their wisdom was recently interviewed for a British lifestyle publication. They say, the body doesn't lie. I started to notice in my body weird things like my fingers and toes going numb. I was waking up on Sundays with my heart pounding in my chest and I really couldn't point to one reason why. I started to feel full-blown anxiety and I'm thinking in my head, me? There's no way. I'm doing my practice and exercise and moving my body. I have so much to be thankful for. I have meaningful work, but my body was signaling to me that something was really, really off. So I did, decided I needed a very symbolic break. I went and I spent some time among the trees. I wasn't performing. I wasn't having to show up and lead. I was getting to listen and to digest. We all deserve to take those moments to be still. They too had reached their own Elijah moment, an acknowledgement of the exhaustion that needed to be treated with a cessation of activity and gentle, nourishing kindness. With his hot food, his refreshing water and his deep sleep, Elijah was prepared to move on again. Of course, he then encounters first the word of the Lord in a cave who after further lamentation from Elijah, instructs him to go and stand outside on the mountainside. Then follows a series of dramatic sights and sounds that God is not present in. 
before the sound of sheer silence in which the divine was so profoundly encountered that Elijah had to cover his face, perhaps so as not to be physically impacted by the very physicality of the presence of God. I have no idea what sheer silence sounds like, but the original Hebrew partnered with the comparison of the other events that the Lord was not present in, suggests that this is not simply emptiness, but something very present and visceral and potent. Have you ever stopped for a moment and heard your heart pounding, your breath moving, your mind whirring? This, I believe, was the physicality of Elijah's experience, intimate body-felt moments of connection with the divine. Whilst the place in which the encounter was set was holy, it was an unexpected revelation of the splendor of God. It was powerful and dramatic, but not in an expected way. It was a meeting that came following a dramatic low and an act of simple nourishing kindness. It prompts me to ask myself, where am I not encountering the divine because I am expecting one thing when they are working on another? Where am I not receiving all that is present because I have not first stopped and received nourishing kindness? What comes next is a story for another day, but Elijah continues and then prepares the way for the work of Elisha who will follow him. By stopping, he encounters, so that he may continue long past his own end. Traditionally, our readings from scripture today might have been positioned as examples of God's might and grandeur, the spectacle of miraculous acts that define the realms of physics and conventional wisdom. Yet perhaps some of the greatest wisdom to gather from the depths of scripture and not only in those moments, but also, and just as importantly, in the soft and silent, the kind and the comforting, and the honest and the humble. Let's pray. Divinity of love and light the God whose angels bring hot food to the weary, the God whose sun multiplies fish for thousands, the God who does the same today. We come seeking your nourishment so that we might not faint along the way. Let us show kindness to ourselves so that we may then show kindness to others. Let that kindness be gentle, be nurturing, be radical. May it embody the acts of an incarnate saviour, so that we might be an angel with hot food for another. Let us find peace in rest and nourishment. Let us find restoration through a kindness that speaks to the very divine spark in each and every one of us.
we turn to face you, O God, overwhelmed by your sheer presence. Amen. Let's pray. Creator God, we acknowledge our responsibility individually and collectively for the future of this world we inhabit. In this concluding week of COP26, we pray that all the political leaders might take seriously the need to legislate for a more sustainable future. We also pray that as individuals, we might be prepared to make changes, however small, in the way we live to contribute to this. Help us to be thoughtful stewards of this amazing world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Omniscient God, we pray for your church throughout the world, for the persecuted church, for the complacent church, for those in the church questioning the reality of their faith, for the clergy and church workers who strive to set an example, but who sometimes battle with fatigue and discouragement. We pray for those like Dan and Annie Dupre in Albania, who've given up much to work in the church overseas. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Caring God, we pray for those within our congregation, <clears throat> in our families and among our acquaintances who mourn, who struggle with illness, who live daily with anxiety, who feel adrift in a busy and confusing world. We pray too for Fatima and Amina as they continue to adjust and plan for a productive future here in London. We pray for our elected deacons at Bloomsbury, that they might, that they might take on their responsibilities with commitment and enthusiasm. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Omnipotent God, we pray that you might fill us with your Holy Spirit as we go into a new week. Help us to trust you for an unknown future and remind us of your promise in the book of Jeremiah. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Amen. So go into God's world with love, hope, joy and faith in your hearts. And may the blessing of Almighty God, Creator, Redeemer and Sustainer be with you all today and forevermore. Amen.